We're going to be in Mark chapter 9 this morning, if you want to head in that direction. I've been off for a couple weeks, so I want to thank Phil Zito for filling in, uh, filling in, <laughs> get it? Uh, I don't know, is Phil, is Phil here? No? All right, how do you do? He did okay? One time I was, uh, I was on my way to seminary with, uh, there was four of us in the car, we're on our way down there, and there was a uh, young lady named Andrea uh, Santa Ana, at the time some of you know her, she was, she was in the car, we got to talking, and she was referencing, she was telling us the story about when she first met Jesus, and so she, um, the short version of the story is, like, her brother had been asked her to come to this series of services that LSU was hosting, it was a campus-wide, it was like four nights in a row. And so she didn't go to the first night, and he was like, man, the speaker is so good. It's a guy named Rob Turner. Some of you know Rob, and uh, so good. So he, just, so he was like just begging me. So I went the second night, and it was amazing. And then I went the third night, and that's when I met Jesus for the first time. And she was just going on. She's like, this guy, I've never heard anyone teach the Bible like this. It came alive. It was just phenomenal. I just, I can't, I just can't, can't get over it, you know. And um and uh, she said, and I was so moved by the whole, th- the whole thing that I brought like two of my friends to the last night. Uh, but it was like this other guy, and he wasn't nearly as good, and it just kind of, you know, wheels kind of came off of it. And so as she's telling the story, I'm driving, and I'm like, I was the fourth night. <laughs> yeah. I was so, I, I had such little impact on her that she didn't even know that I'm the guy in the car with her. <laughs> Like a year later, just no clue. And so I'm driving, or I'm driving, I'm not saying anything. I'm just, you know, my ego is like, like bleeding out over here, you know. And so uh, not saying anything. And uh, I was in the car, Meg was in the car, Andrew's in the car, and then there was another person in the car. I won't use his name, I'll just use a letter. Let's call him T. <laughs> Mom and dad are right there. T pipes up and he goes, Hey, uh, Josh, where, where are you, the fourth night guy? Say all that to say, if you have come the last two weeks and heard Phil uh, and came back thinking, that's where's the bar? I'm sorry, that's not it. I don't have a good track record of following guys like Phil. So, um, Mark chapter 9, we get to one of my favorite stories uh, in the whole Bible uh, in terms of like people I want to meet in heaven, you know, like on the new earth, they're walking around. I hope to bump into this guy. Um, that we'll talk about this morning. I'm going to go a little bit at a time. We're in a series just going through the book of Mark, kind of one section at a time, and uh, starting verse 14. When they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, him being Jesus, they were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So ask your disciples to cast it out, and they were, they were not able. Okay, so let's stop right there. So Jesus, had, in, the, in the previous story, he had been up on the mountain with three of his disciples, and, and there's this incredible moment where uh, heaven and earth meet each other in a really visible way. It's called the transfiguration. 
Jesus like becomes this like bright shining figure and Moses and Elijah are there and they're talking with Jesus about what's ahead for him on the, on the cross and Peter and James and John are witnessing this amazing thing. And so he, he comes off of this like a literal mountaintop experience, comes down the mountain, finds his disciples arguing with these scribes because they were unable to cast out this spirit from this boy who uh, the description sounds like epilepsy. That's what we would look at that now and say, oh, that's epilepsy. And um, they, they obviously didn't know what that was and were saying that he had a spirit, like a demonic spirit in him. Jesus doesn't correct them, so we're just going to kind of roll with it that maybe it's, a, maybe it's an overlap between the biological and the spiritual in this case. But his disciples, they, they were, they were um, probably a little bit frustrated because they should have been able to handle this. Uh, if you, you don't have to turn back to it, but uh, in Mark 6, so this is, we're in 9, back in 6, it says in verse 7, he called the, the 12 and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. And then a few verses later in 13, and they cast out many demons and anointed them with oil and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. So these guys were probably very confident going into this situation, you know, well, Jesus is up on the mountain um, and he's with Peter, James and John. There's nine of us here. Uh, we can handle this. We've done this before. And they're like trying and it's not working and they're trying and it's not working and they're trying and it's not working. And so then in verse 19, Jesus responds to them and says, uh, Oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. It sounds like he's a little bit, you know, like maybe he's have bad, he not sleep much last night. Does he have an attitude problem? What's going on here? What he's really saying though is, is, I don't know how much time I have left with you. Um, up on the mountain with, with Elijah and Moses in this really unique like conversation, we know from Matthew's gospel that they were talking about what was ahead for Jesus and what he had to do in Jerusalem and going to the cross. So when he comes down the mountain, he is now, like he kind of has tunnel vision. Not knowing how far away that is, he's really like, man, I have these disciples who, I don't know how much time I have left with them, and they still don't have faith. They're faithless. I'm not saying that Jesus was nervous here, but I think he was like, man, the clock's ticking. These guys still don't really understand that, uh, like the mechanics of ministry are one thing. But they didn't have the faith. They didn't have the key that unlocked the power of what they were doing. So they were like they had learned some stuff, but it was that like internal life, that deep belief in God's power at work among them that they still they still weren't grabbing onto. It. And, and he really wasn't sure how much time he had left with them. And so, um, knowing that that was the case, we're about to watch uh, Jesus as like the professor. Jesus as like the model, and this is about to become a classroom uh, in terms of how does a faithless generation become faithful. Uh, so let's keep, let's keep reading. Verse 20, they brought, uh, they brought the boy to him. I love this. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, fell to the ground, rolled about, foaming at the mouth. Okay, so just upon seeing him, like the enemy knows who Jesus is. Okay, and it freaks him out. It terrifies him. Don't ever think that, that Jesus and the enemy are on equal, like equal grounds. You know, that's not, that's not the case. And so 
the uh, spirit uh, throws the boy into another seizure. Verse 21, Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? He said from childhood, it's often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. I mean, you can, you can almost hear the, and, and like sense and feel the, the heavy burden of this dad who has from childhood watched his son uh, be taken captive by something. Um, all of you parents have probably had like, like situations before where you're looking at your child and they're sick and there's something going on and it's, it's, I'm not a parent, but it's got to be one of the most helpless feelings in the world. You know, I've heard so many parents over the years express like, man, I would, I would take, I would take this onto myself for my kid in a heartbeat, you know? And so here's this dad who he hears about the, this healer, this rabbi who's able to cast out spirits and heal. And he, he brings them and Jesus isn't there. So he's like, well, you guys are his disciples. Can you do it? And they're like, yeah, we can do it. And, and they can't. And so what's going to happen next? And here comes the rabbi. He's pleading with him. He's like, if you can do anything, please, please be compassionate, be merciful. Those prayers for mercy from a parent on behalf of their kid, man, that's, that's deep. So he's not demanding anything, you know, he's not shaking his fist. He's not whatever. He's just, this is an honest plea of a father who's heard this guy can heal my kid. So I'm going to bring him. So looking in at verse uh, 22 at the end of it, it says, he says, but if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And verse 23, Jesus' response If you can, all things are possible for one who believes. So let's let's spend a little time on this one, okay? Um, This this whole idea of, uh, like, all things are possible for you who believe, this has become rather twisted over the years um, by all, because it, it certainly at first glance seems to really, like, lean in a, um, kind of like prosperity gospel kind of like vein a little bit. Have you ever heard like people handling the scriptures and they are basically saying like, if, if you want, if you want that, if you want that raise, you just got to believe all things are possible for me who believes. You want that new house, want that new car? Just got to have faith. You want to be healed? You got to believe. The inverse of that becomes... Oh, you weren't healed? Well, it's because you didn't have enough faith. Because you didn't believe. Oh, you didn't get it right. You got demoted? Oh, that's, well, that's your fault because you just didn't believe the Lord enough. And it even gets into like, oh, you really, like you want to be able to speak in tongues? Okay, you just got to have faith. And if you can't, then I guess you don't have enough faith. So you got to keep, got to get more faith. You're like, where, where's the commissary? I'll go get some more. Like, I don't know what, how do you, how do I get more faith? Like, I don't understand what you're talking about. It becomes all twisted up, and it's very easy for guys like me and what I do to emotionally manipulate a room and to lead you down a path uh, that is very dangerous, where you're, where basically you become the control factor. It's your faith or your lack of faith that either makes something happen or makes it do- doesn't happen. So ultimately, you're either to credit or you're to blame. 
And what that does is it creates this really, like, really um, satanic theology, I think. Um, so, I can keep going with that. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to move on for a second. Um, but, so, it matters who you listen to. In a world full of blog posts and podcasts and books and all this kind of stuff, it, it matters who you're listening to and what you're listening to. Because this verse can be used to manipulate us. Um, now, putting that aside, it's also like sometimes it's kind of hard to know like when, when to shift into the like all things part of this, like into, into that gear, you know? Like when do you, when do you ask for the miracle as opposed to when do you just accept that these are your circumstances, you know? Like, how do you know, how do you know when you're supposed to be in one gear or the other? Um, I think sometimes it's hard to know because you want to be that person that's like, I'm believing for this, I'm asking God for this, all things are possible, he can do this. Like, you want to be that person that's full of this massive faith. But you also want to be the realist that's like, yeah, the Bible really never ever tells us that we're going to not suffer. That's too many negatives. How about this? The Bible tells us that you will suffer. That's probably a better way to say it. Like that is going to happen. And so when, so, when, when life like turns on you a little bit and you're like, so I don't know, what, am I swinging for the fences here? You know, or am I just like, just uh, kind of just accepting, okay, God, this is where you have me. And which, which one do you do? And it's really a, it's a reflection of our like very Western thinking or we kind of feel like it has to be one or the other when really there's, you can do both. I guess perfectly acceptable to do both of those things that like our souls are really big. Okay. And our, our minds are really big. All right. So you can both hope for, ask for, expect something miraculous. And at the same time, ask for and hope for the grace to get through whatever the circumstances dictate to you. You can do both of those things. You don't have to pick one or the other. Um, In Daniel chapter 3, we see kind of an example of this. You have Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. And this is, you don't need to turn to it. This is what they say. It says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he'll deliver us out of your hand, O king. So he's able to do that, yes. That's the all things are possible, swinging for the fences, asking for the miracle. In verse 18, but if not... Be known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you've set up. He's able to do all things. If he chooses not to, I'm still going to be okay. That is like that is who we need to be. We don't have to pick a lane. You just you go rerun both of those lanes. You cover that whole spectrum in prayer if you want to. And the crazier the prayer, the better. You know what I mean? Like, I, I love it when people are like, I'm just going to ask for something insane. Like, okay, do it. That's great. Um, also ask for things that are also in, like, in the other lane, too, you know? We need to have those kinds of, of prayers. 
Um, our God is able to do in, um, infinitely more than we can ever ask or imagine. And he's able to get me through just the garbage that a broken world brings to us in broken bodies uh, in just a broken system. He's able to meet us where we are. It's both of those things. So God is, he's, he works miracles in the healing realm and in the sustaining grace to get us through terrible things realm. It's both. Um, so we have to keep in mind that ours is not a self-centered faith, but a God-centered faith. That's, that's really the important thing to remember. And so our focus is not really on the amount of faith that you have. Jesus, what he says back in, in, in this verse is he doesn't, he doesn't say all things are possible for those who have a, a vast amount of faith. It has nothing to do with the amount of faith that you have. It has everything to do with the object of your faith. You can have a little bit of faith in a great big God, and that's plenty, you know? So, to go back to the verse, in verse 23, when Jesus says, If you can, all things are possible for one who believes. What he's basically saying is, of course I can help. My faith is in the Father, so anything is possible. Don't Don't you love that? Like, all things are possible for him who believes. Of course I can help. If I can't, of course I can. You know why? Because my, the object of my faith is correctly placed. Because my faith is not in anything or anyone other than our good Father in heaven. So yeah, of course I can help. The disciples couldn't help because their faith was placed somewhere, somewhere else. Maybe it was in like uh, some of the th- in imitating the rabbi, or maybe some of the mechanics of ministry, or praying certain things and saying certain you know certain order. It could be all kinds of things. What we have learned so far is that their faith was not placed in the Father, so nothing was possible. Jesus' faith is in the Father, so all things are possible. A lot of faith, a little bit of faith, doesn't really matter. It's where is it placed? Then verse twenty four. This is why I want to meet this guy. He says, immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. Come on, right? Is there, a, like, it's got to be like top five most relatable, like, things in the whole Bible, right? I feel like he put into words right there what so much of my experience has been like. And I bet a lot of yours as well. And from talking with people for a long time in Christian circles, I, I feel like he articulates something that we all feel, have felt, will feel, something like that. Just acknowledging the fact that sometimes you bring both of those things to the table. You bring faith to the table and you bring unbelief to the table. And so what he does is he just, he's just honest. He's like, uh, I believe, help my unbelief. How about that? Sometimes, though, you feel like a crazy person, right? Like I was thinking about the, you know, you've seen it uh, depicted various times where you have like, like an angel on one shoulder and like a devil on the other shoulder. And I got curious about that. I was like, how far back does that go? And it's, it's like an ancient concept. You know, if you're unfamiliar with it, let me put this picture up, show you what I'm, what I'm talking about, just to kind of describe it to you a little bit. 
in like the best way possible. So <laughs> just random picture off the internet. Um, if it was the 90s and someone showed us Simpsons picture, can you imagine like the meltdown that would have happened in most of our churches? Uh, but I think the issue, uh, the issue is not really like, the, it's, the, it's God versus the devil. But if the angel were to represent in this particular brilliant depiction, uh, if that represents our belief and the other side represents unbelief, this is kind of what it feels like sometimes because it's like, it's like one is whispering in your ear all these amazing things about God and, how, and his power and who he is and all this. And the other side is like whispering all this, this like counter stuff, you know? All right, all right. We, we, you got to take it down. I'm, I'm going to keep staring at Homer. He's on the back wall too. Um, it's like on one side of you, there really is this deep belief in, in God being able to do anything because he's God, because he is omniscient. He knows everything. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere. He's omnibenevolent. He's always good. He's, he's all powerful. He's infinite. There's no beginning and end. He's outside of time and he's inside of time. And, and there, there's, all, there's all these things about him that are speaking into our situations where we're like, of course, of course I believe, of course I believe, of course I believe. And then there's this other side of us that creeps in sometimes where our, our unbelief or our doubts start to be expressed. And so, sometimes it's like uh, in that kind of camp of like self-preservation, self-reliance, fear, you know. It's like, yeah, God can do this, but you're like, yeah, but I better prepare for the worst. Um, I've seen this before. Probably won't go my way. It usually doesn't go my way. The science is pretty solid on this one. Um, sometimes it's even weird stuff like, I, mean, I haven't read my Bible in so long. Why would he do this for me? Right? I haven't been a good Christian lately, so mm, should probably get ready for this to not really happen for me. Um, sometimes it, it, it doesn't come from self-reliance and fear and preservation. Sometimes it comes from our own, like, theological understandings. Sometimes those doubts and unbelief come in or you're like, where you're like, I believe he can do this, but will he? You know? Would, like, is it his will? And that's something I'm supposed to deal with? You know, like, and even so it gets where we're overthinking and like, is, it, is healing something I'm even supposed to ask for? You know, I don't know if I'm, is this, mm, I'm not sure how to, you know. We, so some of our, some of the things on the other side of the spectrum of our like unbelief and doubts will come from just us just overthinking and overanalyzing and so afraid that we're going to mess up something, you know. And when you're volleying back and forth between those two things, it gets exhausting sometimes, you know. So there's this situation, it doesn't even have to be as severe as this one here in the text. It can be, it can be anything. And you're trying to really like get good perspective on it. And it is like your, like the things you do believe and then your things that you're causing you to doubt and mess with your belief and all that stuff. They're at war and they're volleying back and forth and it's faith in God or faith in self. You know, I trust the Lord. Uh, I don't trust the Lord, you know. Those kinds of things. And so here this father does something for us that I think is very important. And if you're in this situation today, if you're like, yeah, that's exact, that describes me perfectly. I'm going back and forth between belief and unbelief. And it's just, I'm not sure what to do. You're, if you're either there now or you're going to be there at some point, r- remember this guy's example. Because he just like basically just confesses to Jesus right there. 
This is, this is honestly where I am in this. I absolutely believe I'm, I also have like my concerns and questions and doubts. Here, here you go. Just being honest with yourself and being honest with the Lord, that, that's where you begin. That's how you begin to process these things. It's, it's just the simple act of asking for help. Notice that he doesn't just say, yeah, I have, uh, I have beliefs and I have my doubts. He says, I do believe. Help my unbelief. He's not camping out in the unbelief area. He's like, I just don't know what to do with this, these other things. Will you, will you help me? I'm confessing this is where I am. I'm asking you for help. Like what? What a beautiful prayer. It doesn't, it doesn't say, and the man bowed his head and prayed. But this is a prayer. Just a simple act that requires a lot of faith. You realize the amount of faith it took for him to just admit that he has his doubts? That's huge. And to ask for help. It's pretty incredible that Jesus doesn't reject him or rebuke him, you know. His disciples, right, they kind of were like, they were faithless. And he's like, how much longer is it going to take you guys to get what I'm saying? So you'd almost think that Jesus would, would answer very differently. I'm like, well, come back when it's 100%. There's a part of us on that doubt, fear, unbelief side that kind of feels that way. That until you're able to bring it all to the table and it's 100% belief and zero unbelief, then Jesus didn't really want to hear you. But Jesus, he, he seems to love this guy's response, you know. Why wouldn't he? Maybe instead of thinking about it from our perspective or anyone else's, maybe just think about what is actually happening here. The Heavenly Father has one of his kids that's coming to him for help. Quick survey. Only say no to this if you feel this way. If it's affirmative, just be silent. All you parents in the room, um, if your kid were to come to you and say, I, I need you to help me with this. Would you want to help them? Bless them? Or would you be like, no, dummy? Am I? Oh, okay, good. Whew. In First Peter, It says to humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. That's what's happening here. This guy doesn't know it. Peter has not written those words yet. But that's what's happening is this man is humbling himself under the mighty hand of God and casting his anxieties onto the Father via Jesus and letting the Father care for him. Maybe this is a time when Jesus' faith fills in the gaps for the man's faith. Think about that. On one side, this man has, I believe, help my unbelief. Maybe this is one of those times where Jesus' like, belief like, supplements that man's faith and unbelief. Like Maybe there's a solidarity that is existing in this moment. 
where Jesus as our intercessor is filling in the gaps for us to the Father. Maybe in that moment you, you, have a, you have a Father praying this prayer, you have Jesus who is maybe believing on this man's behalf to the Heavenly Father, so really everything is really complete in this moment. Maybe there's the beauty to what's happening here that we can't really see, but from God's perspective, he's like, man, this is, this is golden right here. This is a moment that people are going to read about for a long time. This is one that you could really like scan over very quickly in just a very like servicey reading of the text, or you can maybe in this moment see the Trinity at work with this man in a way that you and I get to step into all the time, every day, at any moment. That when we bring that prayer of help my unbelief, Jesus and his ministry of interceding for us, working with the Father and the Spirit together to bless us, maybe we're seeing something here that's like a part of our everyday reality because of what Christ has done. So this prayer of confession, it never happens on an island, you know. This is not something that you should do by yourself. You got you to gotta be honest with yourself and honest with the Lord. And you also got to be honest with your people, whoever your people are. You know, we have, like, there are close friends and family. There, that's why we get into small groups and community groups give you some people that you can walk through your life with that whenever something happens you're able to sit in the living room with them and just have one of these kinds of moments of like let me tell you how i've been praying lately i'm in a very much a i believe help my unbelief situation with the lord and over this particular thing i'm trying to figure out and i can just use your your faith on my behalf you know it's it's perfect you know to not have to do life alone in that way. So, our faith gets stronger over time. All right? So don't be discouraged. If you're kind of in a place where you feel like that volleying back and forth, like you're just getting weary over it. Uh, fight the good fight. Hang in there. Be fine. And so here's this man who prays this prayer. I believe. Help my unbelief. If I was in that crowd, I'd be like super listened in at this point, like ears perked up if I was a dog kind of thing, which I'm not. Look at verse 25. Jesus saw that a crowd came running together. He rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him, never enter him again. After crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out. And the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, he's, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him up, and he arose. Again, we see the, the power of Jesus' just his spoken word, his authority. Um, like, there's no doubt who's in charge here. And there's no doubt of who's in charge in your situation and my situation as well. So if he can speak and make change in this, he can speak into your stuff too. You might think the things you go through are, are worse than this situation or maybe a little bit better. Or it really doesn't matter. Jesus doesn't even look at it that way. 
He wants to speak into the things that his kids are wrestling with. And when you come to him and ask for help, ask him to speak to it. Just ask him to speak to it. We don't really know if the boy actually died or if they just thought he was dead. It doesn't say. But the same terms are used here where it says that he took him by the hand, lifted him up, and he arose. Same terms used to talk about resurrection from the dead. And so if, if you were to kind of like chase that down just a little bit, it's kind of, kind of cool to step back and think about things being put to death in us that he can then raise in newness of life, you know? That, the, that unbelief, those doubts, those fears, those, all those kinds of things that he could put them to death and then raise them and have them be alive and to eliminate them or move them to the other side or however, however it needs to work. And in 28, it's interesting because the disciples, they want to know, like, hey, what's going on here? He says, when he it, when it entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. So it's good. They want to learn, like, hey, what are we missing? And Jesus says something that I, I would not expect. I almost feel like the verse, like, like there would be two things that we would see. One it would be, you know, he says, this cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. I would assume that he would have said faith and not prayer. Since they were faithless and that was the, they were missing that key of unlocking his power, I would assume he would have said, yeah, it's these, this kind of demon, this kind of power, this kind of whatever. It's, it's, it's got to be faith. But he says prayer, which I think is very interesting. And then, because he says prayer, I would expect to be able to look back in the text and see his prayer, Right? Like, where's the red ink prayer that we can, like, memorize, you know? It's not there. And I think that tells us something significant, that, uh, that prayer is where our faith finds its right object, you know? Like, that, that's, that's what needs to happen. When, when we realize that our faith has been misplaced, our faith is in ourselves or our circumstances or our, you know, it's on the, the other side of the shoulder, you know. That our faith has been placed incorrectly. And how do we place it correctly? Well, you go into your room. That's what Jesus said. You go into your room, you close the door, and you talk to your father, even though he is unseen. Like the the prayer closet, the the you and Jesus prayer time, that's where that faith finds its right object. That's where that faith gets stronger. That's how you work through this stuff when you realize, like, oh, I've been, I've been placing my faith in the wrong place. So Jesus was in a, like, pray without ceasing mode. So he didn't have to, like, um, you know, like, what do we do about this? Well, hang on, let me go get my mind right. Come back. His mind was right. So he didn't have to pray in the way that you and I think of prayer. He'd been praying. He didn't stop praying. It was ongoing communion and communication in relationship with the Father. So he was just able to act. But to the disciples, he said, if you, if you want to grow in this, 
it happens when you come before the Lord and you humble yourself and you say, I believe, help my unbelief. And you ask him to help you shift your object of faith from whatever it may be on, onto him. That's where that is going to change for you. That's what he tells his disciples. And we fall into the same, in the same teaching. So what we're really looking for is what parts of my life is God not the object of my faith? Am I trusting in people? Am I trusting in money, possessions, job, the economy, political spectrums, all those kinds of things? Am I placing my faith in these things that are not Him? Or is my faith rightly placed? When you realize, like, man, I'm, I'm kind of back and forth, I'm kind of double-minded in this, you come before the Lord, you humble yourself, you say, I know I, know I believe these things about you. Would, you, would you help my unbelief in this? And you let him realign you with himself by just asking him for help. So I don't know where, where this, like, reaches into your life, you know, I've, say that every week I'll probably keep saying it because I don't know I I can assume some things but you know where this reaches into your life the lives of your maybe into your marriage into your family system into your friendships into how you're approaching certain things you might not be in crisis right now this might be something where you're like I need to make some notes here because life's going to happen at some point you know However you process this is up to you, but I think that that prayer, that honest, help my unbelief prayer, is one worth memorizing. It's very short. And it's a rhythm that we should probably be into. But if there is something in your life that needs to be put to death so that he can like resurrect it, to put to death the wrong object of faith, that it could be resurrected in the right object of faith, then there's, you don't want to wait any longer. You know? And so you can certainly do this later. This doesn't have to happen in this room, in this moment. But it's re- a really good time to go ahead and start moving in that direction. And so if you're here the first time, we have a couple of different ways that we do this. Um, one of the one of the things that we do every week is we have these two communion stations that are open. Now next week we're going to do communion uh, a different way. We're going to do it like where we like well the whole service will be a communion service and we'll we'll pass it out. We'll do the you know we'll do that it that way, which I think has a, a very special impact. Today we'll do it the way we do it most Sundays. We'll have two stations down here. And you can, you can come. You don't have to be a member of our church. You, just, you have to know who Jesus is and want what he's offering to you. That by taking that bread and dipping it in the juice and, and consuming it, you're like in a very uh, not weird way, you're taking in the grace that Jesus is offering to you. You're ingesting, ingesting that, the, the life and power of, of God that he is offering to you. He has us do this rhythmically, as a reminder of, I've, I've done everything that you need me to do in order for this life to be yours. And so you can come and you can receive communion. Um, 
You can also come and pray. If, you're, if you need to pray some of those confessional prayers, these steps are open. A couple of us, uh, staff and elders, will be down in the front row if you want to pray with one of us about something like that. Um, you can come and pray. We're, we're going to do some singing, so you can do some singing too. Sometimes that's, a, that's the perfect response. Um, on the corners over here, we have some giving stations. If, if you contributing financially, uh, if you tithing is an act of obedience that you feel like helps you line up here, um, there's also prayer requests that you can write and leave on those stations. Uh, I like to say we're about to move around the room a little bit. So if you're here for the first time, it's normal. There's nothing you know, weird going on. We just want to provide a variety of, of options so you can sing, you can give, you can pray, and you can receive communion. Um, so let me ask you to stand as the musicians come back up. Let's bow our heads, let's, let's close our eyes and Would you take a minute and just think about what what may be going on in light of this passage and these songs we've sung this morning? What do you need to respond to with the Lord? If you had to narrow it down. God, I, I pray that in these next few moments, uh, you'll help us to respond in ways that are going to um, just give some traction to the things you're stirring in us in terms of taking some steps forward. I'm so thankful for this, this humble father who uh, just kind of blurted out this incredible prayer. Uh, thank you for his honesty and his humility. I'm thankful that, uh, that you didn't reject his answer because he admitted the fact that he's dealing with some doubts. That you responded to one of your kids just being honest and asking for help. That's who we want to be this morning. That's who we are. And so whether it's through communion or singing or giving or prayer, help us to respond in any and all of these ways so that we can walk out of here today uh, just really on the same page with you. We love you. We thank you and pray this in your name. Amen. All right. Our communication stations are open. You can come whenever you're ready.